they, they never feel like they're advertising to you. They feel almost like the brand itself is content, right? Hey everyone, in this episode, we're talking with Dan Salki from Small World. They made this super interesting paper that is called Entertain or Die. And we talk about how brands can create an unfair creative advantage. So buckle up and let's talk branding. So before we dive in some exciting news, you might remember my episode on challenger positioning with Faisal Siddiqui from Creative Business Company. Actually, it was one of the most downloaded episodes of last season. So we decided to partner up and they're sponsoring this podcast. But more on that later. Yeah, my name is Dan Salki. I'm uh, the founder and strategy partner at Small World. Um, we're an agency that curates, builds and runs unique teams for every single brief, um, which we think is a bit of an unfair creative advantage um, for, for brands in the market that um, kind of crave uh, cultural specialisms. Um, and it's kind of the, the reason why we ended up um, strategically kind of writing writing this uh, this piece, Entertain or Die, which is all about um modern brands creating an unfair creative advantage for themselves in the market um uh yeah and we've we've done it kind of in partnership with with um analog as well which is a really fantastic design design studio and all of the kind of illustrations from the report that you'll see are kind of done by them the the, the entertainers as we call them um so it's been a been a really great process um and yeah i'm really excited to kind of chat to you about it one of the biggest challenges in my own career has always been to convince business leaders that brand is one of the most important assets in their company. And even though dozens of studies have shown that getting the right strategic positioning can get you a 5x performance on your ads, sometimes convincing executives to prioritize their brand strategy can be challenging. That's why this episode is sponsored by Creative Business Company, a strategic consultancy on a mission to make brand more accountable and more effective. They take the lessons they've learned from over a decade of experience of working with brands such as Morningstar, Shell and Formula E and adapt them to smaller, fast-growing companies to help them get more attention, convert leads and drive sales. So if you're trying to get budget for brand, create messaging that converts or lower your cost of acquisition, check out creativebusinesscompany.com for ideas, evidence and tools that will help you make an impact. Yeah, I mean, for the people uh, watching on YouTube, um, you'll see the the some of the amazing artwork in the paper. For the people listening, uh, you can find it in. The, you will be able to find it in the show notes. But yeah, it it looks amazing, and I was definitely triggered by the visuals, especially like the 3D characters. And and you know, I have a soft spot for mascots, so. There was something there, but actually reading through the paper, it also has a really strong like uh, content. So it's not just visual sauce. <laughs> and um, maybe walk us through like a bit of set the scene for like why is entertainment brands a thing and like how did that came to be? Yeah, totally. And yeah, I mean, again, that's the beautiful marriage between Small World and uh, Analog on this, I think, because, you know, it, it's got both style and substance, um, you know, Analog bringing this really beautiful style um, kind of out there. Willy Wonka style, I'd like to say, is one of my one of my favorite inspirations. Um, but then it does really have the kind of substance um, from our kind of, you know, creative strategy background. Um, um within within small world so thanks for kind of kind of noting that i've sort of flattered um yeah the the i guess um 
before getting to the reporters, right, it's taking a step back and saying, well, why, why is kind of the world set up for entertainment brands? What What's changed in the world? What What's happening that um, these, these brands exist before we kind of give a definition to what exactly an entertainment brand is? And I think there are a few things that we, we really picked up on. And the, the first was um, purpose fatigue. Um, there's some really good research by GFK in particular, um, a, a kind of research body who looked into um, the impact and the effectiveness of purpose campaigns in, in the last year. You know, can can Lions and a lot of the um, uh, kind of industry awards will have us believe that purpose um, is kind of, you know, the crowning jewel of, of advertising. But actually, the effectiveness of um, uh, um, purpose-based campaigns has been steadily falling um, kind of since 2019, which was when we hit peak purpose fatigue, when mm-hmm. Alan Jope, who's the, the head of Unilever, kind of stood up and said, all Unilever brands are going to be purpose-led brands. Um, and they've actually heavily backtracked on that since. And, you know, Mark Ritson's talked quite a lot about that and the fact that, you know, they, they now say, you know, purpose is great for brands that have purpose at their core. Um, and, you know, brands like Ben & Jerry's will keep keep kind of doing that. But purpose isn't for everybody. Um, and, you know, sometimes uh, mayonnaise is just mayonnaise. Um, so that's, uh, that was one of the things that we, we kind of, we kind of saw, you know, there's this purpose fatigue, people are kind of on their knees with, with um, almost, you know, purpose being battered down on them, as well as kind of doom and gloom as well. Um, we're seeing a big return of, of humor as a result of that. And we're hoping that 2024 is, you know, the rise of humor branding and humor advertising as a result. Um, Maybe we got the pandemic uh, was enough in terms of anthem wars. It's enough of uh, <laughs> misery. Precisely, yeah. Hopefully, enough of the kind of. I think serious. What what sums it up is like this: this seriousness, yep. right? People mm. are kind of seriousness. Um, and then the next thing was kind of media inflation, or what we called here TV tyranny, but um, media inflation and also transformation. So TV has. Uh, or effective TV, advert TV media has become increasingly expensive over the years, mm. and the result, uh, the reason, the reason for that is because the the TV media that really makes sense for brands to buy is things like the Super Bowl, the World Cup, these big crowning moments that you know the Coca Colas, the McDonalds, the the big brand, the Nikes of this world will will buy, and that TV media is still amazingly effective. It's still you know these moments that everybody in the world are watching, um, but outside of that. The rest of the TV media is, is really inflated um, for the return that um, lots of brands can get. So as a result of that, we're seeing lots of brands turn to uh, new media. You know, YouTube is the new TV for a, for a younger generation. TikTok has become kind of social in general or a proxy for social in general um, as this kind of one channel scroll that people, you know, go, go to, to watch from. Um, you know, media is increasingly you're seeing like block puff blockbuster style content be released on yep. streaming platforms and youtube and other other media it's, it's no longer uh kind of tv is like the monolithic uh, sort of media channel so that was something interesting that we we were sort of seeing um and then it's, it's not actually on on this page but this um idea of like atomized attention spans and um people's ability to avoid advertising really you know, again, like I know Netflix just introduced sort of a, an ad, uh, an ad um, subscriber uh, option for, yeah. uh, for their platform. It hasn't had ma- mass uptake, um, but even 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 that um, is kind of an example of people having the option to pay not to be advertised to, and mm. particularly the type of people who advertisers want to advertise to, people who have you know big big wallets and money to spend. They're increasingly the ones who could really can af- afford to not have to see advertising. So. Um, increasingly brands are having to stand out if they want to uh you know stop people from only watching three seconds of the video on tiktok or 
basically attaching an ad blocker to, to what they're showing is simply not enough to just have a massive media spend and and pay your way to success because of all of these things that we've sort of talk, uh, spoke about um and yeah that's kind of how we got to uh entertain or die we thought you know there's there must be some but the, all of these problems all of these kind of issues all sort of cause the same thing it means that it's harder than ever for brands to stand out especially if they're boring um so which brands are bucking the trend um and is there is there something we can codify between these brands are there some shared values about these brands um that really make them make them stand out and then importantly can can we test that can we actually measure that that entertainment you know gives them a leg up or gives them this unfair creative advantage um and that's what the report's all about mm. Yeah, and and what I found really interesting is is this thing that also is something you see in marketing science and in Byron Sharp's book on on how brands grow is that small brands actually get punished like multiple times for being small. You know, you have yeah. the effects of have not being able to pay as much to reach as many people, and then also having less people buying less from you, and it's like it's very hard to push through that, and then you have this whole context of media being hard to buy and not being able to reach that that share of voice and in that context specifically i think it's very interesting and a lot of smaller brands are really looking for ways to to break through this barrier without just paying uh, for tv ads which is basically impossible for most yeah uh, it's totally and, and that's an important distinct uh, important point to make none of this goes against traditional brand building science none of this is to say Byron Sharp is wrong or the stuff that, you know, Ritz and Teachers is wrong. And we're not saying that, you know, small brands can outcompete big brands no matter what. This isn't even a report that's about big versus small. Actually, when we go into some of the findings, one of the, the one of the biggest brands in the report um, is using entertainment, is using entertainment tactics, Duolingo, yeah. who we'll touch on later. Um, this isn't about going against um, traditional brand building science. Of course, paid media is going to make an important part of your, your share of voice. But this is for those brands who have no hope of competing on those traditional uh, media mm -hmm. channels with traditional media budgets this is a way of supplementing or getting an unfair creative advantage um uh, through creativity um, and, and brand all right so without further ado what is a, an entertainer brand then <laughs> yeah so an, an entertainer brand um or an entertainment brand whichever you'd like to like to call it um is effectively a brand that is is kind of bucking um bucking the trend uh, as we said um uh, as we said before they're kind of they've they've embedded themselves um in culture uh, and i know that's kind of something that gets thrown around and, and um, banded about quite a lot but they do genuinely do that they they feel less of um they they never feel like they're advertising to you they feel almost like the brand itself is content right and yep. again um, that seems quite abstract when i say it but as soon as i mention some of the examples like liquid daft uh, liquid, liquid death mm. crops um duolingo you immediately recognize ah yeah i don't see them as a brand that advertises to me i see them as a brand that entertains me or a brand that you know i watch their content in the same way i'd watch mr beast in fact mr beast is mr beast feastables is a, a brand that we mentioned um in the report as well and you know he nothing that he does feels like an ad it feels like something you're watching and the brand happens to be a part of it um yeah, yeah they're not they're not particularly again new brands um necessarily um a lot of them tend to be uh smaller brands or challenger brands just by the nature or the ones who do it best tend to be those types of brands just because again they need to really heavily lean into those tactics they don't get big brand effects so you'll see a lot of those types of examples um yeah but all in all they're brands that use an entertainment factor to get kind of an unfair creative advantage and creative edge in the market 
Mm, love that. Um, there's eight. I don't think we have time to do all of them. So, so what I'd love to do is just maybe pick out like three, four of these archetypes that you guys have defined and, and just dive into those. So uh, I'll let you pick them. You know, you know them best. What's the first yeah, one you want to tackle? Yeah, yeah. I think we'll start with the script writer just because I know that will be your favorite and I mm. want to get that away just because I, you know, I think the whole, the whole reason I'm here is uh, because there's Brad, you know, brand mascot, uh, mascot <laughs> today, um, in, in the report. Um, but the script writer is genuinely, and you know, that's why it's number one on the list is genuinely kind of one of our favorites. And I think just a quick point before that on the entertainers, all of these, you know, some, some people really hate archetypes and personality <laughs> and stuff. And they say, you know, they're, they're really kind of like a, they're not proper brand building science. And again, we're not saying that this is a mantra you have to follow and you, you can only be a scriptwriter and you can only be a purpose punk. That's not at all. This is, this is just a, an interesting framework for brand leaders to start to pick out tactics that they might want to use. Of course, you can use tactics from the whole kind of range of um, archetypes that we've laid out here. It's just an interesting way of starting to think about the different tactics that they use. Um, but yeah, this, this scriptwriter um, is, is kind of the first one that we, we talk about. Um, and again, this is if you could imagine a brand thinking of themselves as a TV show, that is what the scriptwriter strategy is all about. It's all about kind of building out a brand world outside of your product, um, outside of your brand, um, and selling that to consumers. Liquid Death is probably the best example of that. And, you know, I've spoken to Andy Pearson previously, and he has this really great quote, which is all about, yeah, that in the Liquid Death creative war room, they think of Liquid Death as a kind of TV character. Um, and, you know, they have some of their own brand assets they have the first murderer who's kind of like their own mascot um who's regularly in a lot of their comments but they literally just say you know if this brand was living a storyline out in the world what would liquid death's point of view be on plastic surgery what would liquid death's view be on uh the generation gap and and old old women what would liquid death's point of view be on sustainability um and they had they just apply that liquid death lens to loads of different things and it just has it's just this endless creative engine as a result it's much like again saturday night live or a, a sketch show um one of those that's the probably the best analogy to sort of look at mm. um there's other brands that do this in different ways like brand vibe so vacation um is a good idea of that brand they've applied the lens of and i've spoken to lack hall as part of the part of the report who's their kind of head of marketing um and he said you know uh, as founders we we're obsessed with this kind of 80s miami vice sort of era and we just wanted to apply that over a brand uh, and and then they they kind of cottoned onto the idea of sun sunscreen and the fact that sunscreen used to be a fun category and then it had lost since you know th uh, and rightly so things like you know skin cancer um became more mm -hmm. prevalent people understood the the risks of tanning and sunscreen sunscreen came into play it became this quite like hygienic sterile category and their their whole idea was well why don't we bring that Miami Vice style back to this product and back to this category? Um, and everything they do is kind of oozing that particular style from, you know, the emails they send out, to the job titles they have on LinkedIn. And it's, it, it really shows. Um, and then finally, another great way of being a scriptwriter brand is to literally create a physical manifestation of that character. And, you know, we've got big brands like Compare, Compare the Market over here who, who show us how to do it brilliantly. But you've also got more emerging brands like Duolingo who are kind of, the number one entertainer in this report um but they literally created you know they, they had this green owl logo icon um which they then took to took to completely new heights and as you know duo is now famous on tiktok as the the green owl that you know 
um, pesters you to to do your Duolingo streak and kind of you know mock celebrities and does all sorts of things. Um, and I, I think in their um, in their yearly end of year report or in their their kind of um, uh, and yeah end of year filings, effectively their their report, they they literally called out Duolingo, the Duo Owl and its impact on TikTok as, if, as having a considerable impact on their um, return on marketing investment. Um, because it literally allowed them to build brand in a way that was so much more cost effective than if they'd done you know, several different TV campaigns or put loads of money behind paid ads. Um, so it does show that it, it genuinely, I'll try and find the, the exact thing I was talking about to provide a link for, for listeners, but um, it does show that it has a genuine business impact um, that this type of creative thinking. Um, so yeah, that's the scriptwriter. Yeah, love that. And and I mean, I, I really, you know, I'm a fan of mascots and we talk a lot about it. So I think the listeners kind of know the impact it can have. But I really like this this other part about the, the vibe as well. And, and the vibe almost being like a sort of selling argument. I think we, we kind of underestimate the power of, of this, of like this, this, this like oozing vibe coming from a brand it's really something that you buy into i think and it's it makes a brand very distinctive and it makes it very easy for them to stand out and i think a lot of marketers are afraid to have like a specific aesthetic or inspired on something but this team yeah. really makes this brand very strong and then obviously uh, we've seen duo doing so much fun stuff and and what, what what's really interesting for me there is that like there was a gap a little bit when it came to mascots. They worked very well in traditional TV advertising because you tell this story on TV and there's a character, it makes sense. But then on digital social media at first, it didn't really click for me. And now seeing like Duo on TikTok, it's kind of like, again, it matches perfectly with, with the, this new channel in a way that I hadn't seen it before with like how are mascots coming to life on social media which I'm now seeing a lot more. And, and I think because of this connect, we'll hopefully see a lot more. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it, works, it works really well, Duo, because again, they, they applied that. And it's one of the things we talk about in the trends as well that I didn't put out. But this idea of people awarding authenticity today mm -hmm. um, is, is, you know, just as you said there, when, when you have a mask on a TV ad, usually they're kind of like, uh, cleaner than clean and they're you know the really polished uh mascot of the brand and they don't tip they might do a few funny things or a few yep. cute things but they're not this you know unhinged deranged personality which duo is and uh sunny who we use on top of the morning is when you put on social which is invariably what people want to see on social right they want to see deranged funny unhinged kind of crazy stuff yep. um, so i think they, they really won because they understood that and they didn't try to just do like a cute fun sterile version of the mascot that you might see on tv on on a on on tiktok they kind of really uh yeah took it to the took it to the um nth degree for sure voila okay uh let's see what uh what other um archetype yeah, let's, should let's, we go, pick? let's go to the purpose punk next all right let's go they all look interesting, so it's hard to pick, but Purpose Punk. Yeah, the Purpose Punk, yes. Yeah, so like, like we said, I think 2019, in, in my eyes, um, and many people's eyes, is when we hit 
peak purpose. That's when yeah, Unilever kind of announced that every brand that they had in their staple was going to become a purpose-led brand. And since then, we've really been kind of um, just purpose fatigued and really kind of fight, fighting against against purpose or, or people have um you know ultimately yes we do want to make the right decision when we make um purchase decisions and, and go to shop shop but realistically and increasingly in the world that we live in today we're motivated primarily by value and you know uh uh kind of surviving i guess um and get getting the best value out of the products we buy and then probably you know, purpose second or saving the world second um, for, for the average consumer. And we might say um, differently in consumer surveys. And so that is the case, but that, mm -hmm. that is just kind of the case. So I think for purpose-led brands that are out there, it's not good enough to just have a purpose. You need to do purpose with personality. And that's kind of what the purpose punk is all about. It's about kind of punching people in the face of their purpose almost um, and kind of really uh, leaning into kind of the activist roots of um, a lot of the purpose-led cam campaigners of you know the 90s and the 2000s people like um uh, greenpeace and you know more recently people like Extin extinction rebellion whatever you kind of think about them it's kind of borrowing some of the tactics from from that side ocean bottles a great example they're they're a brand that we worked with on their christmas campaign last year and a lot of the tactics were kind of guerrilla tactics if you will like projecting onto onto amazon's warehouse and putting jeff bezos on the naughty list um <laughs> Or, or kind of like doing the same thing in Oxford Circus, co-opting Santa Claus, who's kind of you know the the main symbol of consumerism, and and using him, um, using him for to send a message about kind of pla you know plastic pollution and uh, and turning that around, and really doing things that again are make people laugh. Like yes, these issues are serious, but it doesn't mean that the the tone that you deliver them in have to have to, has to be serious as well. You know, look at the some of the best comedians out there today, like a uh, you know Ricky Gervais or. Um, you know whoever you you might you might look at all of these comedians talk about really serious deep heavy issues but they do it in a way that makes people laugh and i think that is effectively what the um purpose punks have to keep doing uh, moving into next year so yeah the, the the things that underpin um underpin this uh this um archetype are number one um uh, doing purpose of personality and really what we mean by personality is kind of laughter and, and humor um capitalist activists is the, is the second one so acting uh in it acting like activists so like a borrowing um tactics from a greenpeace or a extinction rebellion back market's a really good example a couple of years ago they did a campaign where they took over an apple store and they airdropped their um they airdropped their message onto every phone in the store and took it over saying you know not only are you being ripped off by apple you can get a cheaper phone at back market but also did you know that xyz is in your phone or you, you know the, the minerals in your phone are being mined from these places um and that's a really guerrilla kind of tactic um, which 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 lends itself to you know this isn't a really worthy brand who's gonna you know like um uh, take it lying down this is this is genuinely a brand who um has fight in it i, I suppose you mm. could say and then the last thing which is i think probably actually the most interesting is whilst they're also one on one hand borrowing from the real guerrilla activists they are also borrowing from uh, what makes what makes the category leaders the best so tony's chocolate only is like one of again one of the best examples of a purpose punk type of brand and when you look at their brand they they borrow lots from you know the cadbury's of this world in terms of brand distinction you know they've got they've got really distinctive packaging and branding um they've got a really kind of fun tone of voice they feel more like willy wonka than any mm. you know any other chocolate brand in the market those are all cues that they've borrowed from chocolate those aren't things that are unique to them so in in lots of cases as well it's about understanding what 
you know, kind of, we call it like dancing with the devil or deal with the devil is, is figuring out what actually works um, from those bigger players and, and copying those bits and then standing against them um, in others. Um, so that's, yeah, purpose punks. I think, again, we're going to see this ever more in, in the next couple of years as people lean into humor, etc. cetera. Um, purpose punks is great. I created this podcast to help myself and others understand the power of brand building without all of the BS. So here's three no BS guides from my friends at Creative Business Company that you can download for free to drive impact. The brand investment blueprint outlines the exact process they use to convince skeptical executives to invest in brand building projects and campaigns. How challengers can position for growth explains how brands can find and leverage their hidden advantage to create brand marketing that sells. And last, my favorite, how to build a big brand on a small budget, explores how to outsmart and overtake market leaders with more cost-effective marketing. Go to creativebusinesscompany.com staff to download your free guides today. That's creativebusinesscompany.com forward slash S-T-E-F to download your free guides today. Back to the podcast. Yeah, I'm here for it. I think uh, purpose, like the way it was framed originally, I think it was very much companies taking themselves too seriously, except for maybe a few that really have the, the right to do so. I think for a lot of them, there was like, it was a bit of a, a mockery and I think it's better than uh, to take this route and and if you are serious about it then still do it in an entertaining way because people in general even if it's like an authentic purpose and you're really serious about it people still won't notice if you don't do it in a way that grabs their attention so I think this is important uh let's pick one more yeah, let's let's do one more. And I think this is admittedly one of the ones that we want to research more and look into more. It's probably the, the one that's pop, is probably popping up the earliest, if that makes sense. So it's uh, or the latest rather. It's you know, there's 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 more more space for this area to grow, but the people's mm. play doh um interesting kind of lobby friend there. Yeah. The people's play doh, go ahead. People's play doh, yeah. So people's play doh, again, it, it's it, I wouldn't want to say that it's only necessarily like web free or metaverse brands because it, it isn't. There's there's plenty of examples that we've we've found that aren't that. But it it probably these types of brands have been born out of that type of thinking, which is building around community, um, everybody being an owner of the brand, um, everybody participating in the building of that brand. Um, so you do because of that, you do tend to see a lot of brands like Artifact, for instance, who have now been actually um, uh, sold to Nike, um, and they they create digital goods and digital fashion, um, and they've sold you know loads of their drops as as NFTs. Every everybody who um, buys from their brand has has a say in kind of the next drop that's released. There's a you know possibility to evolve the the goods that you buy. It's really participatory as a brand and really reinvents what a fashion brand could be. Similarly, you've got like crypto brands like Polkadot, for instance, where um, you know, crypto's got a bad name of late, but they're one of the brands that are kind of um, bucking that trend a little bit. And everybody, everybody is a participant in that brand. They have a, you know, everyone who owns that Polkadot token has a has a say in governing how the how the business runs, let alone just the brand. Um, and everything's built from the ground up. But then, you know, there are some examples that are cropping up that are not necessarily web free or metaverse brands, but they just lean into those principles. And because we've got channels like uh, TikTok and YouTube and just hyper connected social channels, they can do that. There's a really interesting, I don't even, you call it a brand, you call it a project, I guess, but there's a brand called Skinner. 
Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're, they're, they've cropped up on TikTok recently and it got, you know, the guy yeah. who did it got millions of followers overnight. And he, his whole concept was I'm building a fashion brand or I'm building a, a clothing brand whose first release was this jacket that uh, kind of um, covers, covers your face from cameras. Um, and he said, I want people on TikTok to help me build it from scratch. So everything from the low, he did like a logo and he said, who would like logo A, who would like logo B, all the way up to the supply chain that they were going to use. And he said, look, we can use one supplier in market A, which is going to make the product cheaper for people to buy, but it won't be as premium. Or we can do it in market B and it's going to be a more premium product, but a higher price point. And literally every single decision within the business, he kind of did this um, almost like those old school, you know, adventure stories where it's like choose your own story type thing. He's like, okay, do we want to do A or B, A or B, A or B? And was kind of building the brand. I think they've done their first drop. And I mean, obviously when you have people who really feel like they're participating in the brand in that way, you know, it sells out overnight um, and you really have this, this intense um, ownership. Everyone has this kind of intense ownership over the, over the, the brand that they're um, buying into. So it's, it's really interesting and it's one that we want to keep track of. And I think we will see more of these types of brands um, in the next, or brands employing more of these types of tactics in the next couple of years. Yeah, I love that. And and reminded me of two other brands as well. Like I, I talked about this on LinkedIn briefly, but I really love what EA is doing with skate. I don't know if you've seen that, like how they've launched that. It's not really, a, well, it's a, it's a brand on its own, of course, skate the, the game. And it's really like super community oriented and very much like building it together with, with them. And the way they frame the content is also a bit like, very rough like they, they're showing a lot of like 3d footage that isn't cleanly rendered but it's just like a lot of fun and you can feel like it's it's almost this this from the ground up uh, a bit punky uh, way of building a brand so i really like that one and also this also reminds me a bit of like uh, reddit where you basically have their well you of course this is a very community oriented uh, product anyway but even their like little mascot you can customize it to your own to your own liking which is i think a, a smaller example and and probably with new techniques as you mentioned that uh, this will be become even more immersive and interesting so definitely something to watch out for the only caveat with this type of brand is probably like to keep your distinctiveness is is probably a challenge when you're like so malleable and and dynamic but i guess that's just an interesting challenge rather than a problem mm. yeah i mean to be, to be honest it's, that's a good point it's actually something that we talk about in the collaborative comedian section which i won't go into in detail but crocs is a really good example of a brand there and they do tons of brand part they're not quite a i wouldn't call them people's play-doh brand because it's more mm -hmm. about brand partnership and collaboration but the way that they built their fame over the over the last you know five years or so has been from partnering with fashion brands icons celebrities etc who have that kind of brand heat and you're right like how do you retain what makes your brand famous and distinctive throughout that i mean i guess their their idea of that was to keep the clog everything they do is centered around that clog shape and they've made mm. the clog shape. when you think of a clog you now think of crocs um and that was their their way of kind of keeping that distinction so it'll be interesting to see yeah some of those people play those brands do the same yeah amazing i mean uh i'd recommend people to go read the the paper if they want to find out more about all eight of them there are some pretty interesting other ones in there but it's a great playbook and as you mentioned like it's i see them more of like battle cards or something that you yeah. can 
get inspired by. It's not that you have to make the choice. We'll probably see somebody take this and overanalyze brands and put them in uh, boxes. But anyway, I know that's not the intent from you, so I really like it. Maybe let's uh, look a little bit more into like the the findings and and the science behind it because you also did some research in relation to that like take us through a little bit of that so we just understand that as well yeah yeah and, and maybe we're kind of um victims of our victims of our, of our own downfall or kind of you know um it, it's to our own detriment that we've tried to put so much into this report as possible that actually the findings and the research when i've given it to people it kind of gets a little bit uh um <laughs> gets a bit forgotten at the end but you know the whole point of doing this was to not just put our strategic thoughts out out and in, out into the world and and you know that have that be that we wanted to actually prove that you know what we're talking about here and these interesting theories and principles are driving you know ultimately return on investment at, at the end goal but in the short term you know allowing um brands to build kind of uh owned and earned uh share of voice um uh, against like market leading competitors so we created something that was called the entertainment index which we'll, we'll kind of see in a second on our, on other pages but basically what it is it's a score created um yeah here like an entertainment score which are those numbers that you kind of see there um and that score is a, a blend of owned and earned metrics across social pr search um it factors out paid spend we wanted to make sure that you know again we didn't have brands um you know who could pay bang for their buck um sort of beating out others we we factored out paid spend um and it really shows how brands of entertainment and their core can out compete those market leaders and you can see it doesn't always work and we'll talk about why it doesn't always work there's you know some brands here that are, kind of have a a minus score in difference and mm -hmm. admittedly as well we you know um what we want to do in the future is create a version that has just the top 100 brands by market cap and we do and we do this uh, index ranking again based on just the very biggest brands in the world but this ranking was selected by our strategy team of the very best what we deem entertainment brands amongst those categories and then we tried to think of what that market leading competitor would be so sometimes we might we may have not you know matched it up exactly but we tried to um, try to do that as much as possible uh, but again, yeah, when you download this, you can kind of pour over the, the ins and outs of the research. But there are, there are a few things that kind of came out to us in, in the findings, um, which I, I admit probably should be after this section rather than before it, like you said there. Um, but uh, yeah, there were, there were kind of three things that really came out to us, um, which, which, were, which were interesting. Um, first of all, it's this idea of entertainment brands coming in all shapes and sizes. Duolingo was by mm -hmm. far the big winner um, in this report. I think their entertainment index score was at like 71 or something like that. And they're a brand who have 60% of the market share. They basically invented the category of, you know, language learning apps. I think Bar Barbell was the, you know, second in the market who maybe have like 20% or something of, of the market there. But they're by and far, you know, market share, um, share of voice leader in that, in, in that market. But they also have the highest entertainment score of any of the brands in this report. So it shows that, you know, any brand of any size really can be an entertainment brand and they can leverage that unfair creative advantage. Like I said, they even mentioned it in their um, kind of end of year report and said how that owned and earned bump in kind of brand awareness was, was giving them kind of a, a reduced um, cost per acquisition um, uh, for, for their app. You know, they're calling it out to shareholders. Um, so yeah, that's the first thing that these brands come in all shapes and sizes. And we really want to prove that by doing this exercise just with big brands and showing the ones that really compete there, like a McDonald's perhaps. Um, 
The second is that certain categories are entertainment first by default, and therefore they are going to be harder to win. So, like we mm. looked at Thursday, for instance, which in in the UK is you know this this darling of LinkedIn. Everyone's always posting uh, Thursday's uh, adverts and stunts and talking about the interns who work there, and they really kind of epitomized and started that you know LinkedIn uh, you know challenge brands posting on LinkedIn type stuff, and you know. I think they're a great, amazing brand. But when you look at their entertainment score, for instance, compared to somebody like a Bumble um, or, or a Tinder, they're, they're kind of nowhere near, you know, the, the difference is, is, is large. And that's because those categories by very, their very default are high interest. And those brands have kind of ca caught on to the idea that you need to be entertaining first and foremost. So they've lent into the, the channels that matter and the tactics that matter in, in a way that matter. Similarly, you see that in like fashion, for instance, like artifacts um, doesn't really get near the, near like the likes of a Nike, which makes total sense because Nike is a really loved high interest brand. So there are cer certain categories where it will be harder to stand out. But on the flip side, that kind of shows that for the brands who are in low interest categories, like a Duolingo, there is this massive opportunity to be fun. Um, yeah. and entertain because that, that it is easy to win in those types of categories when you're just a little bit entertaining um and then lastly this idea of new media especially social media kind of being the democratic cheat code for entertainment brands um i think mr beast is probably the best example of this um we kind of um, note a statistic earlier in the report that you know we mentioned saturday night live uh, in the scriptwriter brands which i think gets a couple of million viewers um, concurrently of people watching it. They actually do a lot of their stuff as a live stream on YouTube now as well because they've recognized that t you know live TV viewership is, is falling. Um, Mr. Beast gets, I think, I can't remember the exact stat in there, but um, he gets at least half a million more on one of his YouTube videos of, of kind of people watching watching that YouTube video. So it, it's, it's kind of um, night and day um, seeing the difference that particularly amongst younger audience that, that um, you know, YouTube, TikTok, I would say like a, another channel I'd throw in there is like Fortnite or gaming or just like, you know, the, the actual metaverses that exist in this world, like Roblox or Fortnite, for instance, is probably another channel that um, a new media channel that is kind of democratic that brands should think about and think about participating in in some way. Um, but it's brands like Epic Games, Duolingo, um, They've all built uh, feastables as well. They've all built their kind of own large organic audiences um, on those channels and followed an entertainment strategy. One of the other brands we actually talked about, which is one to watch, I think, um, still probably a bit young to have like a really high entertainment score, but is Midday Squares. And I spoke to the you know founder Jake Carls. They they invested in effectively creating their own reality TV show behind the brand. That's what their their marketing is. It really that he that's what he really was inspired by. He said it's like a combination of keeping up the Kardashians and Shark Tank. He's like, what would what would a keep keeping up the Kardashians dramatic version of running a business look like behind the scenes? And that's what all their content is. And they're trying to basically have people kind of um, follow the business in in that way. And they've invested in that by having you know multiple cameramen and this kind of round the clock uh following of the business um and, and content created throughout the business that feels like a reality tv show which is really like just fresh and interesting and if, if you can imagine if, if a brand that was slightly bigger did that the the kind of um shockwaves that um yeah. that would receive so i'm really interested to see how that kind of works out for them in, in sort of the coming year cool maybe like one because uh, i mean there's a lot of interesting stuff in the paper i think one thing that listeners might who might be listening working at a brand or having their own brand or whatever it is like first probably people are thinking like am i already an entertainer brand most likely i'd say 
80 or 90 percent of, of the listeners don't have a, a true entertainer brand yet because it's very hard to do so so then the next question is basically well there's maybe two questions one is do i need to become one but the, the third one is maybe more interesting for people that think yes this is the route for me like what are some ways to actually start like transforming or shifting towards becoming an entertainer brand what are some things you need to change what are some things maybe you need in-house or whatever it is like tips ideas to start thinking about this whole shift yeah totally and, and again all of this and this is probably my first point is like none of none of this comes about strategy a lot of the things we put in this deck are obviously tactical they're, mm. they're, they're tactics that um that you would use rather than uh, a, a whole strategy necessarily the important thing to look at first and foremost, and lots of these brands do that, like Top of the Morning Coffee, for instance, was built around um, uh, a realization of this, our, our client, this YouTuber, Jack Septikai, saying there is, a, you know, my audience who are Gen Z gamers um, really enjoy coffee, but there isn't a coffee brand built for them, which uh, removes the uh, snootiness or the, the kind of snobbiness from coffee. I'm mm -hmm. going to, therefore, I see this gap in the market. I'm going to create a product and a brand for them that it doesn't neglect strategy, positioning, uh, knowing who your customer is, um, and, and leaning into that effectively. So none of, none of this replaces that. That's the first point, I suppose. Do, do your due diligence and <laughs> your strategy. Um, you know, and if, if you know that your, your audience might necessarily not want, um, uh, to be entertained in a certain way, then perhaps don't um there are you know again we talked about high interest and, and low interest categories um uh there are some examples of b2b brands like a like a mailchimp for instance where they they are an entertainer entertainer brand it tends to of course be more of a kind of b2c um uh, leaning um strategy as well leading into entertainment um, but that aside if you've done if you've done that and you think there is an opportunity here for me because of the channels that i need to be on and because i am you know consumer facing and because i need to generate brand awareness on mass um with uh, you know populist uh, the populist population um then there's probably two things that we can really um highlight for people one is this idea of mastering new media we spoke about it before um and by new media, really and truly, I don't mean just social media as a whole. I think there's probably three to look at. One's emerging and kind of interesting and, and you know, people might disagree with me, but um, there's YouTube. YouTube, in my eyes, is the new TV. Um, Mr. Beast has kind of shown that by having, you know, the, the, the largest following on YouTube. Millions of people watch his content every single day, just like they watch TV. So I say YouTube, in my eyes, is the new TV. So you, you either by partnering with other creators, or if you're doing something like a midday squares where you're really investing in building out that TV channel effectively over over uh, the long term and, and a few years, then YouTube is that kind of platform for you. TikTok, in my eyes, is an amalgamation of the rest of social. Um, it's that channel that it's it, it is one channel effectively. You're you're scrolling through it as you go, and it kind of feeds you what it thinks you you know what what you what you might need. It's of course the the kind of platform for authenticity, and it's of course the platform for kind of crazy off the wall content effectively and there are obviously ways to kind of game the algorithm but in my opinion the stuff that gets it, that is sticky that gets people to stay on that platform from brands is stuff that is kind of totally off the wall um, and then the last one actually is linkedin i mean you know that's kind of where where we've met and where we've interacted um it it's not for every brand definitely not for every brand but it is a big growth channel and there, there are quite a lot of people particularly from kind of i guess our generation who have gone from you know 
traditional social platforms to now growing up through their careers and now spend quite a lot of time on LinkedIn. Twitter's kind of falling down. So a lot of the people who used to be on Twitter are now spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. Um, it will be interesting to see how brands play on, on, on that channel in the future. And if it, if it does become a bit of a, you know, again, we talked about several challenger brands that use that as a marketing channel for themselves. If it becomes, um, if we see more consumer brands on there, so that's that. And then the, the, the last point is probably, um, and it sounds obvious, but triple down on creativity. The whole point of an entertainer strategy is that you don't have the money necessarily to put into paid media, or you feel that the money you put into paid media could be better spent on creative. So the whole point of this strategy is to put that cash into creativity. I think, and again, the, the, the two best examples probably of that, one is, you know, Mr. Beast and uh, the way that he's kind of invested time um, effort and cash from you know we ten going on ten years now into his channel. Everyone thinks he was an overnight success. He wasn't. People just started recognizing his channel uh, overnight. But there'd been kind of you know ten years worth of the iceberg underneath of where he'd been doing challenges, making ten k off that video, then using that money in the next challenge to make the new video. You know he he lives a pretty frugal lifestyle as as far as I can uh, as far as I can read up and 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 listen to from him. Um, he's a really good example of just investing back into your creativity and then seeing the fruits of that um, in in kind of brand awareness and share. Um, and then the other example again that we used was uh, midday squares. So the idea that their version of tripling down on creativity, they said, okay, we want to build this uh, always on YouTube machine where we have, you know, a camera team following one of us, one of the founders at all time and creating this kind of like reality TV show style um, setup that obviously costs cash. You know, it's not, it's not simple to just do that. And I don't even think, um, you know, not to, um, sell small world short even though we do help clients build sort of in-house teams i don't think that's something that like an agency can necessarily do like you need to build that team bespoke and have a you know reality tv team effectively with you all the time you need to build something that people wouldn't necessarily typically build it's not like putting out a social media manager job spec and getting somebody to to join up to run your social it really is you know tripling down on that creativity in the same way duolingo did for instance you know in in, in and I think in their instance, it was less a, less of a cash thing, but it was tripling down on creativity in terms of giving, um, uh, I can't remember the girl's name off the top of my head, I think it was Azaria, but um, giving her the, the license to go crazy and do what she feels is best with that duo character mm. and really like borrow that brand asset effectively and, and well, really transform how that brand asset is used. You know, that's an example of tripling down on creativity is building a safe space within your organization for entertainment to exist because when you are in a bigger organization that's going to be the main battle i think is just yep. people looking over and be like what the hell are they doing with that iconic asset we've had for the last 10 years what the hell are those people doing over there you know doing that weird reality tv thing you know where where an iconic institution we can't be behaving in that way i think that's that's a you know number one way of tripping down on creativity is like over committing to saying no these guys are allowed to run this experiment this project um, we're going to see how it goes for at least a year. Um, don't touch them. Don't interfere. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, just to, to riff on that, I think it is indeed like I'm a hundred percent sure that agencies and, and a lot of, there's a lot of parties that can help with this. I mean, it's an opportunity for everybody that's creative, but it really starts in house with brands because if you don't take this mindset of entertainment serious, even if it's like it's not serious, but you have to take it very serious, 
you will never be able to do it, even if you hire the most creative uh, agency to help you. I think it really needs to come from from within, and you need to have buy-in from within. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges, and and probably why you need some science also to back this up. So so again, uh, I think this paper helps in 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 starting uh, to foster that mindset internally as well. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It comes from inside and outside. Amazing. Well. Thanks so much, uh, Dan, for your time. This was really fun. And for the people that want to find out more about this, go check out the show notes, of course. Uh, and then maybe uh, if you want to say where people work, can get in touch with you, if they have any questions or whatever, feel free to let yeah, us know. Yeah, so, and again, we'll probably have these in, this in the show notes. But if you want to learn more about this type of stuff, um, follow me on LinkedIn, Dan Salky, S-A-L-K-E-Y. Um, and also follow Small World, um, our agency. Um, like I said, the whole reason that we created this report is because our agency itself creates these sort of bespoke, unique, creative teams that build entertainment brands. Um, so we wanted to put our thinking to the test and see if uh, you know the way that we build teams uh, uh, is, is the way that entertain, entertainment brands um, build their teams and get this unfair creative advantage. We also did it with Analog, so go and follow Analog, who's the design studio who works on the report. Um, and yeah, I guess like like Steph said, if you want to actually read the report uh, in in its entirety, um, then there is a micro site as well um, where you can download it. Um, and yeah, there's we're also offering kind of brand audits based around this as well if, if anyone's interested. So all of that will be um, in the show notes. But thank you very much for having me on, Steph. It's it's been a been a pleasure. Um, loving all of the mascot content that you're sort of putting out. Um, and yeah, it's an honor to be the first one back in 2024. Amazing. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Cheers, mate. All right. That was it for this episode. As always, if you want to stay up to date on the latest episodes, check out the show notes and find out more interesting stuff about brand strategy and brand building, visit letstalkbranding.substack.com. That's letstalkbranding.substack.com. <laughs>